0: Hi, I'm Joe Paneleano
1: and I'm Daniella Paneleano and welcome to No Kidding Me Too.
0: This is it, our first episode. It's kind of exciting, right?
1: It's exciting and a little scary. Ooh, why? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, well, let me tell you why, Father, because... On the episodes following this, we'll be talking to people you worked with, people you know, people I know, I grew up with, other famous people, people that we admire. We'll talk to politicians and doctors and and other, you know, leaders of industry that want to talk about their challenges with emotional diseases and and how they work to break down the stigma and how they found the tools to, to go about their everyday lives and find their success but for this episode it's just you and me and I'm I'm interviewing you about your past I lived it with you exactly
0: yeah it'll inspire other family members kids exactly about their, with their parents because look the number one thing that we've got to try to bring out to the open and shed a light on the dark corners of secrets family secrets they're like the family jewels people don't like to be exposed don't tell mom don't tell dad and the thing is is that with my reading and my experiences and conversations everybody knows anyway everybody Mm -hmm. knows Mm -hmm. so I'm excited about this and I really appreciate you uh, um having the guts to uh to do this with me because I I think it's important uh, you know and and I'm hoping that we can even interview some of your siblings, with with the challenges that they're going through. You know, um, if they're open and willing to. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. It's just an opportunity to have people feel like less alone, and you know, and and then it's not fake like the Kardashians where it's all scripted. And you know, I, I you know, really, sh- you want to see really fucked up people? Tune in to to us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly. <laughs> Let's go into this conversation. Um, I hope our listeners enjoy it and and I hope it resonates with some of them and gives them the courage to have these conversations with uh, people around them. Welcome. I always feel so awkward. Why? Talking about your mental health and your life and things you may have done things you have did. Usually, kids don't have those conversations with their parents, which is, I think, part of the issue with mental health is that we're not having these conversations. So even though they're really hard, we have to have them. And not even that it's hard. It's just they're emotional and you might learn things that you don't want to know or find out about a parent. But it helps you as a child in the long run to understand your parents and where they came from and uh, their lives and how they've impacted you. So it's important conversations and it's hard conversations, but that's why we started this podcast so that if we're having the conversation and someone listens to it, someone else will have the conversation. That's that's how we heal. That's how we grow. That's how we understand each other. Quite by accident, I,
0: I discovered therapy You know, at 22, it was an acting class. That's a long story that, if you're interested, you can read my second book, Asylum My Hollywood Tales Through the Great Depression. I mean, the real therapy started when I discovered Dr. Kelly Mm -hmm. here after making that movie, uh, Canvas, with Joe Greco and Marsha Gay. That movie was a story about how mental illness affects the family not just the person who's diagnosed mm-hmm. how it affects the family how it affects the entire neighborhood the fear uh, anxiety disdain stigma and shame that is attached to to mental illness
1: it really is like if really a wonderful movie to watch um it does a really good job at portraying that and i was in high school when you made that so you had and, in, you know, a really big career before that movie and had all these, you know, issues and mental diseases before that movie. Was there any thought or indication of something else? And, you know, because I wonder, like, 16 years in the film business, that's a lot of time. And as an adult, and you think, how how have you not heard of depression or this? But, but then I also realized you really were one of the first celebrities to, like, really start talking about that. Um, did anyone else ever like talk to you about what they had or like depression? And did it ever click for you? I didn't know or? I
0: had depression. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know I was, I, I had depression. You know what happened? Yeah, you know, I was treating it. I was treating that dull feeling when that feeling would come. You know, in high school, I discovered yeah, uh, I jogging. You had to jog a mile and be timed for it twice a year, and and I remembered. Despising the idea of it and then running, you know, with somebody holding the time clock. And then when I finished that feeling of accomplishment, but it felt great. You know, I thought, just, you know, I don't like doing it, but always feel better after I do it. So I started jogging
1: mm-hmm.
0: when I was 17 years old. And that continued to well into my 40s. So that when that feeling would come, I would put on my sneakers and go for a run, and I would run two and a half miles to three miles, and that feeling would go away. Um, and then I I injured myself, and I couldn't run, and that feeling manifested itself, and so I discovered uh, other things, you know, the, the, my seven deadly symptoms that I describe in my in, in Asylum. the The thing was is that as I started. Pursuing this career, this idea that I could be successful. I wanted to be successful. I needed to be successful. That that would take care of everything. And the more success I, I was able to acquire, that feeling never went away. And it was only then that I discovered, you know, that I started drinking more and also sneaking around, having a secret, mm. you know, uh, fooling around. Having leading a double life appealed to me. Traveling appealed to me. One of the one of the things that I always wanted to do was, is live in a hotel room, traveling and seeing the world that way. That's what I want to do, and I was able, and you know, able to do that. Mm-hmm. I spent my you know a good portion of my life in hotel rooms, on jobs all around the world. What helped me the idea of of discovering that I was addicted to pain pills and that I would drink. To make this feeling go away I never drank for the sake of having a glass of wine right it was always this feeling is has visited me now it's time to expel it mm-hmm. you know to exercise it to get it out and so that's that's where those uh behaviors and, and it was through therapy that I discovered that I could live with with my brain style mm-hmm. you know that that being dyslexic, not knowing it, the fact that I, I didn't learn how to read until I was 18 years old, because if I wanted to be a professional actor, I needed to learn how to read, mm-hmm. not not for the love of reading. I only right. discovered the love of reading because of the necessity of practice, because I was told that I had a third grade reading level. And in order to up my game and, and get in par... I needed to read anything, mm-hmm. everything, all the time, uh, to get better at it, and, and so I learned that about practicing with my acting, and you know, acting school was just a place that that was provided a place to practice, mm-hmm. practice for my auditions, that I would be able to practice them with my acting teacher in front of a classroom environment, which is comforting, you know, because. When you're in an acting class, you're performing in front of people. And when you go into an audition, you're performing in front of people. Mm-hmm. That that's what it was like for me when I was a young man. The idea of COVID and what we've been through and the tools that I've sharpened over the last ten years in dealing with my my brain dis-ease, the idea of starting No Kidding Me Too, the nonprofit years ago was simply because I was told not to because uh, mm. I was, I was um, discriminated against having been at the pinnacle of my success and, um, you know, one of uh, some awards and was making a lot of money. And I was upstairs in in my bedroom looking out at the pond thinking how beautiful it was, but I couldn't feel anything. Right. But, you know, all I, you know, it's like, and, and wanting to die. And I was, I was completely fascinated with the idea that I've I'd worked so hard to achieve this lifestyle that that I always dreamt of having. And that I, the fact that I wanted to die just baffled me. Mm-hmm. I was befuddled, like what? And this feeling, I was numb. I just was numb. Well, hindsight being twenty twenty, I was numb because I was eating 10 Vicodin a day.
1: Right, you numbed yourself because you, without that yeah, but, my- I, but I was, uh, because they
0: made me feel good in the morning. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, it just put a bounce in my step. It made, you know, made the depression go away.
1: Ten a day?
0: That, yeah. It, that you know, would kill that, you now. If I did that right now, I'd be dead, yeah. Yeah. Because you build up a resistance. They design them that way. Mm. When I went for help, you know, the rehab doctor was like, oh, that's nothing.
1: What? I have, he that's had, <laughs> yeah, he said
0: that he had clients that were doing like 40 a day, 50 oh a day. Oh my God. They build that much resistance. That, and that's also why a lot of people
1: accidentally D because
0: this. Yeah. they, they, they go into a program and they, they clean out for 40 or 50 days and then they, they want to get high again. And they, they, they even
1: if they took half of that or even like, I don't know, even five,
0: whatever. I don't know the math. That's, it's just, you know, the idea is that is the greatest feeling in the world. So mm-hmm. don't do it. The only advice is if you do it, you're going to like it. And that's the end of that story.
1: So during canvas is when you found out or when it, the light bulb went off in your mind about your mom and, and that she was probably, um, bipolar and well, no,
0: um, it wasn't that I didn't no? label anything with Marcia. what Marcia gay was doing with the part felt familiar to me. And I was like, who does she remind me of? Mm. And it was my mom. And and because of the context and the narrative of the story, I never thought my mom was crazy. I just thought that she was just willfully happy to be miserable. Mm. And that if she did some work, like I had done some work, I had gone into therapy, I tried. If, I, you know, if it could help me a little bit, it could help her a little bit. So I never thought that she was mentally ill. I just thought she was Italian American Mm -hmm. and I thought it was a cultural thing. And so, and I said, well, wait a minute, maybe not. Maybe she was nuts. She acted nuts. And so when I came home, I had to go for a physical Mm. because I had a history of heart disease and they had put me on Lipitor uh, for high cholesterol. And, And so I went and the doctor did my blood work because when, when you do a movie, you'd always get a physical because the insurance company was betting that you were nothing was going to happen to you, and the production company would put that take that policy. And God forbid something happened to an actor, they would be insured to be able to reshoot and recast. So my doctor said, "How you doing?" And I said, "Well, you know, I feel like I'm underwater. I feel like you know that I'm walking through sand." And he said, "Well, that, you know, that's that's not something I can deal with." You should consider seeing a psychiatrist, and he gave me a couple of names. And I met this guy, Dr. Kelly, and uh, I described my what was going on, and he said that's clinical depression. I said, "Well, what is that?" And he explained to me when pleasurable things that you used to enjoy doing no longer gave you pleasure, and and I felt like, wow, that's great. So it's not my fault. It's not me that I got something and there's a treatment for it, that was great. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm depressed. And that began my journey, you know, I'm paraphrasing this, this five-year journey mm-hmm. that included uh, 12-step programs. Uh, but even with the 12-step program, I was advised by my sponsor to call what was going on with me alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, it was emotional. I, I, I had clinical depression, but he said, you know, just call it alcoholism because, uh, you know, this is for alcoholics. And you know, but while I was there, they used to say that it was ninety percent thinking and ten percent drinking. That the drinking was a byproduct of the diseasiness, and you know, eventually I got to the point where. I was less interested in the symptom because I got to the point where I said, Well, wait a minute, this alcoholism and drug addiction and, you know, sex addiction, whatever it was, all of these things that I was seeking to feel better. So I did these things to make that feeling go away.
1: I always did like how you called that stuff symptoms because, you know, I'm sure that there are people out there, they could diagnose themselves as alcoholic. You know, maybe they had a very good life. And all of a sudden they took a drink and then something clicked and then that's just all, it's just they wanted the alcohol because there is a component in alcohol that can can affect that. But I think for the majority of people, it would be a symptom.
0: It was different in the, in the 30s when this thing kind of bore out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people thought that alcoholics were the kind of people that would have a drink and then they couldn't stop. Right. Uh, they, that they couldn't function. That certainly wasn't the case for me. And what I discovered wasn't the case for most people, you know, people could stop. They, they just, if they were anxious, they would drink. Yeah. And it, and it got to the point where their life became miserable, that they were unable to function. And that's anything. Right. When your life, the simple things of life start breaking down because of the way you're feeling I was unable, I just, you know, I couldn't, and you you saw it, I, I couldn't leave that room. You know, I, I just couldn't get out of bed. And everybody was walking on eggshells because they didn't, you, you all, you guys didn't know what you were going to get.
1: Right. Yeah, I, we have a, a beep on our garage, or on our driveway. So whenever someone drives down, we hear the beep. And whenever you were coming home from a trip or whatever, we'd hear that beep everyone would jump up and make sure everything was clean or that someone was doing homework or someone was cleaning the room or we had to like make sure that when you walked in, everything would be in order so that you couldn't find something to freak out about. Well, maybe
0: that's why you were nervous about starting the interview. Maybe it's battle fatigue from those kinds of moments in your life Mm -hmm. when you were a kid. My parents had... Emotional difficulties. Most people do. Mm-hmm. Most people do. That's the other thing is people are always surprised when we talk uh, that that there's so much empathy. Uh, it's because everybody's got somebody that's going through something, and if we're lucky enough, we get you know that we get to the point where we're able to manage and regulate it. Yesterday, I did a live chat on Instagram, and I was just talking about how blue I felt that yesterday, that day, that, at that moment. And a lot of people grew concerned and, and one friend actually called me up Mm. and said, Joey, I hear you. You're depressed. What's going on? I want to talk to you. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I love you and I'm worried about you. Are you okay? And that's a cry for help. In the old days, I, I would just have seven martinis and throw
1: up. Right. It's a very good friend for him to call. You know, and that's the
0: other thing is you forget people care about you.
1: Yeah. You forget people care about you and you also forget to care about people. Or yourself. And a lot of times yourself. Because it's so exhausting just to care about yourself. So add in people, it's like, oh man, so many other people I have to care about. Being human is exhausting. I wanted to ask you, because I remember you doing all this stuff with No Kidding Me Too and you even telling stories when you said you were discriminated against and you were told not to. Why did you start No Kidding Me Too? Um, as again, I'm gonna say it as just cause this is what I I know to be true, is one of the first public figures, someone with a name to openly talk about it. And so honestly, you know, as I said, sometimes you don't want to think know things about your parents. I know everything about you and your history. And uh so does everybody else. They can read that book and find it out. And I'm incredibly proud of you for doing that. So what because you, you didn't have to. You could have just been diagnosed and went to therapy and, and did the work yourself. Why did you want to share it? And then also, can you explain some examples when you say you were discriminated against for it?
0: When I started feeling better because of, of the therapy and, and Dr. Kelly had prescribed antidepressants that actually created a bridge for my being able to go out again and... and and take meetings and and work again. That with the aid of Bogie, you know, because for the longest time I would I would actually go to meetings and the events and have and take Bogey with me into the city.
1: Bogie's his uh, was was, was his a
0: terrier of mine,
1: best friend in the world.
0: With the aid of a dog, you know, as you know, at one point we had ten dogs living here, and now, as a measure of showing how. Well adjusted, I am. We only have six. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm one getting of them's better.
1: mine. So technically, only five. <laughs> Sorry, technically,
0: when when you're not here, it's only it's, five. It's only five. So I'm half better. There you go. <laughs> um, but what happened was is I got a job, and I went to get a physical, and the doctor asked me, you know, what's going on. Normally they'll say they take your temperature, they take your heartbeat.
1: This uh, is an onset doctor.
0: Yeah, the, the, well, this is a medical doc, you know, insurance doctor. Okay. For a job. And then what medicine you take, and how much of it? You know, do you drink? Do you smoke? That kind of stuff. And so I said, yeah, well, I take I take five milligrams or ten milligrams of Lipitor because I have a history of heart disease. And oh yeah, I'm taking an antidepressant. So a couple of days later, my attorney calls and and says, "Listen, we got a problem with the insurance company. Uh, what's that? Well, you know, they, you told them you're you're taking uh, an antidepressant, so they don't want to insure you because they're afraid you uh, would have a relapse, a nervous breakdown, and 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 cause a slowdown or work stoppage." So if you sign a waiver indemnifying them so that if that does in fact occur, it would be your financial responsibility and not theirs. Mm -hmm. No problem. So I said, well, wait, what what about if I have a heart attack? And he said, no, it wouldn't be an issue. I said, but isn't that, aren't they discriminating against my brain? You know, I have a history of mental illness in my family, and I'm taking this antidepressant. I have a history of heart disease and I'm taking this, uh, this drug for heart disease. So why are they discriminating against my brain? And mm-hmm. he said, well, that's a good question, but if you want to do the movie, you got to sign <laughs> the paper. And so I did. And, uh, and in talking about it with some, you know, friends, uh, you know, high profile friends, the, the common response I would get is, oh, well, I just don't tell them. Which led me to think, well, everybody's taking this shit, <laughs> right. you know, and and I thought, but that's that's not the point. That encourages you to lie, and I do. I never had a problem lying. I lie for a living.
1: Right. Well, it encourages. I mean, well, I just don't tell them. I hide, so you're you're hiding it, which you're is a shame. A It creates right. shame. That's right. So I
0: thought, well, we got to we got to put a stop to this. So I told them. That I was going to go public with it, and they said, "Don't be crazy! They'll, you know, the, the studios won't hire you." Mm-hmm. I didn't believe them, but also I didn't care. I thought it was bullshit, and I also knew how how helpful it was for me to find people like me, mm-hmm. like minded people, to see how it was for them and how they got better and how they were how they were managing their lives. And that this was a thing that was helpful to everybody. Um, also we were editing canvas at the time. And so in the airports, people would say, Hey, Joey, what are you up to? You know, I'm a fan. What do you got coming out? And I tell them about this new movie that we're working on and they would say, no kidding. Me too. My brother's bipolar. No kidding. Me too. My mother's schizophrenic. No kidding. Me too. You know, I'm in, I'm in recovery always. No kidding. Me too. Always starting out with empathy. Like, Oh really? You're doing that? well, I can empathize because I got it too, mm-hmm. or I, I'm affected by it too. Mm-hmm. And that uh, was a curious thing. And so I started talking about it and we formed a nonprofit, no kidding me too. And and I worked with Patrick Kennedy uh, was, was a congressman then. And we started working together. You recall, we went to the Capitol to talk to congressmen, women and, and senators and uh, and, and we, we've had a part in, in passing that bill. Um, which bill health bill, okay. we, we met with, uh, Obama when he was a Senator and, uh, and we had some wonderful, uh, you know, Dr. Richard Lerner and a lot of you know, the doctors from McLean hospital in and Massachusetts Tufts university. And out of, out of those meetings, that's when I started making the documentary. Again, always to be able to reach, have a, a wider reach to people. So, COVID has kicked up a lot of emotional dust. I know that that nine eleven had a a traumatic event. It was a you know it somehow kicked up all this unresolved trauma that was living dormant, and it, it created a veil of depression. That's where the depression began, getting worse and worse and worse. But in talking about it and what I've discovered and uh, in, in even naming it, um, you know, I, I grew weary of the word mental illness. I didn't like it. I thought it was uh, a branding mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and it felt, it felt permanent. And I know that in my own life that the depression comes and goes, that it's not permanent. So we wanted to call it, you know, brain disease it's an uneasiness, yeah, and it's not in my brain. When I'm depressed, I don't feel it in my brain. I feel, feel it, it every- in my chest, yeah. You know, I, and so I wanted to talk about it, and it and it helped. So when I would talk about it and see that it helped other people, when they tell me it talk, it made them feel better and less alone. It made me feel better and less alone. Mm-hmm. We thought a, a, a great idea was to. to to do this, and also it's taken me around the world, right? I've been all over the world with this. People invited me all over the world to talk about this with people, and when I'm in Poland, or I'm in Ireland, or I'm in England, or I'm in Des Moines, it seems like it's the same thing. People feel.
1: Yeah, we went to Poland for your documentary, and that was only a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: So, So the idea of doing it this way God knows there's thousands of podcasts to be able to talk about it in this way that's selfishly helping me feel better about getting through the day because it's harder and harder to get through the day. Mm
1: -hmm. When So uh, on set, right, if you had um, a depressive episode and you would have stopped work and you would have had to pay for it, if you, let's say before you knew it, right, if you were still drinking and
0: let me stop you there for a minute because they weren't worried about me getting depressed
1: no they're worried about work stopping they were worried about me drinking
0: so i couldn't show up for work or me committing suicide so they weren't worried about the depression Mm -hmm. they were worried about me harming myself because i you'd be as a matter of fact because they had a lot of experience with that, with other with other clients on other movies, mm-hmm. so that you know the, the algorithms was telling them. Right. this. they were also using this as a evidently red flag.
1: Right, because that was my question: is if if you you did say nothing, right, and then it, if you did have like an alcoholic episode, that would be covered because you no, didn't it sign. Wouldn't. No, it wouldn't.
0: No, it wouldn't. In fact. Um, there's an actor' a very famous actor who was sued.
1: Oh that's because, how it works because out. Okay.
0: Uh, he didn't give them full disclosure and he went missing for a week or so and shut down the production and and they actually investigated through the pharmacy so they could tell what medication he was taking and they sued him and and, and, and he lost the case they sued him for two million bucks. So it's important that you full disclosure when you sign those insurance policies, you got to tell the truth.
1: Which is so interesting cuz this, this is it's so many before
0: Obamacare by the way.
1: Yeah, cuz so many people weren't telling the truth. they just lie about it.
0: People are escaping. People, you know, it's it's also I feel like it's advertising. It's like the propaganda of of television advertising that tells us that we shouldn't have to feel anxiety. Mm-hmm. That that we can get get through life and take this pill or take that pill or, you know, go on this diet or go on that diet. In one hand, they're telling us that we're not enough. and the other hand, they're telling us, but if you take this, you'll feel like you're enough. It's almost as if we're just doing what we're told.
1: Yeah. Is it different now when you work? Uh, have the contracts changed at all? Yes. Yeah.
0: They can't use that against you because pre-existing ac- conditions are... Uh, not discriminated against with the Obamacare Act. And part of your insurance will cover therapy treatment where that that wasn't the case for a long time.
1: Yeah, I think therapy should be free for all.
0: Well, I think these also these online therapy of the future is gonna hopefully make it more accessible and less expensive.
1: Yeah, and even, I mean, things like what we're doing, finding your own ways uh, of therapy, uh, cause like you said, like this, this hopefully helps others, but it's also helping us. Cause we get to talk to someone and be like, Oh, thank God. It's not just me. I get to talk to you. You get to talk to me. We can work through, you know, things that we deal with and, and in our relationship. So it's, and then if someone lis- just listens to it, you know, I, I played an episode for my boyfriend and he was like, wow, that was like a therapy session. I was like, in a good way. He's like, absolutely. It just, You can relate to it. You just feel better because you hear someone else talking about it. And, you know, like you said, the power of celebrity, you hear someone else that you look up to or that you see on the TV and you think, oh, my God, their life is perfect. And then you hear them talk and you're like, oh, my God, they're just like me. No kidding. Me, too.
0: Did your boyfriend like me? Did he think I was good?
1: Oh, yes. He (laughs) loves you. (laughs) Getting back to, you know, the reason why we we wanted to start this and also 2020. And 2021 are the best years to start, you know, a podcast like this because every single human in the world just experienced and are still currently experiencing a pandemic feelings of isolation. We've been through a lockdown. We might go through another one. Other parts of the country in the world are in another lockdown. Everyone relates.
0: We've all lost people to Mm -hmm. this disease. It's a time for for all of us not to lose hope. To talk more with each other.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, the Hollywood thing, because Hollywood is very interesting. Also, Hollywood, I think, is a place that has many people that can be saying, no kidding me, too. A lot of people with diseases seek a creative outlet in, in Hollywood, acting, directing, writing, anything that might be where you go. Do they have slash do you think they should have? grief counselors or someone to talk to on sets because also that's a very they have them in schools they have them in offices that's a very useful thing to have someone to talk to especially in an environment on set where it could be very fast-paced very uh you know if you make a mistake it can be terrifying is is there anyone like that on set whether it's, or not they're you know, you know that
0: the job i was just on they had covid specialists mm-hmm. uh, but nobody was talking about feelings that were stemming from the work experience as it were. I think that's a, a great idea, but also I think that's something that we we can consider doing. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of responses on on our Instagram, you know, the idea of t- going live and talking uh, and uh, and taking questions and then, you know, being able to use those questions to be able to talk to uh, on these episodes will also be helpful.
1: Yeah. I want to get back to that in a minute, but yeah, I I think it would be an excellent idea to have that kind of person on set for, for mental, um, you know, for emotional reasons, but also, you know, there's other reasons you might need to talk to someone on set uh, and in any work environment. It's like the HR department, you know, I don't know on a set who, who is that person. And if it's like a producer, you know, sometimes their worry isn't necessarily the emotional toll it's taking on you. It's okay, how long is this going to delay me or put the movie back? So, having a person you can go to if you're just feeling like, oh my God, I might not be able to get through the day or, oh my God, someone just said something really inappropriate to me would be really beneficial on sets and creating jobs. Back to the the thing about Instagram and and asking people, um, this podcast isn't just for us. It is. For everyone, it is for the listeners mainly. We can talk to each other, but if no one's listening, there's no there's no purpose. Uh, but we want our audience to engage with us um, and ask us questions, send us emails, send us DMs on Instagram. The reason we're doing do this is for you, the listener. So if you have a question you want to ask my father or me or, um, one of our guests, uh, or any celebrity, if you have someone you'd want us to interview, I mean, we can try to find that person. Um, if you just want to tell us something or just tell us your story, send it to us. You know, if you have no one else to talk to, um, sometimes just getting it down on a page on an email and just sending it to someone that you know is gonna see it and understand it and not judge it feels really good. So You know, send us everything. Also, send us things if we're wrong about a fact or a statistic or say something wrong. Let us know that, too, because that's also very important. We want to do this right. Um, And, you know, we know what we know and we can Google things. But, you know, we're not necessarily the smartest people in the room. I never like being the smartest person in the room because then you have nothing to learn.
0: That's right. And you're really good at it.
1: What? Not being the smartest in the room? (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) We both are. (laughs) So we talked a lot. We covered a lot of ground. I've I've heard um, many of the stories before, and I've also learned a lot um, just from talking to you here. Um, but I know there's more I can learn, and I think I need to maybe stop procrastinating on uh, reading your two books, one which you wrote about your childhood. What's it called? Um, no, uh, Who's Sorry Now is the first book, and about your mother, which I actually I really want to read that one because the stories about your mom are just fascinating and i i want to be in that world and i live where you lived in that book and so and i've have, always said and you
0: have and you have uh, seven or eight copies yes i do yeah. all
1: signed <laughs> um but i always say i want to go to the address in the book because each chapter starts with an address um in hoboken and read that chapter in that location um so maybe i have to actually do that now there's nothing else for me to do right i have no more excuses you know, I'll read that book and maybe our listeners can read that book too. And and you, you wrote that before, um, you know, discovering all this stuff about you. And then your second book, well, I think, I believe you did the documentary first. So the documentary, No Kidding Me Too, which I am in. Um, you can fast forward through those parts. Um, but um, beautiful documentary, very relatable. You talk to people whose stories are just heart-wrenching and and stories we need to hear and talk about
0: but also stories of hope and very, yeah it's a very hopeful funny
1: documentary it's not a documentary about mental health it's it's something fun you can watch with the whole family and 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 you actually you cry but you laugh probably more than you cry and you also say no kidding me too a lot which is why it's called that so definitely I highly recommend watching that if you have it's an easy way to to start this journey um, of mental health if that's something that you're you're wanting to it's, discover. And also,
0: it's on any B O D video on yeah, BOD. you get off
1: Amazon, iTunes, rent it anywhere. Um, and then your second book, same thing with the books. Same thing with the books. I believe you narrate both books. Yeah, you, so you can get it. You can, you can hear him say. You can tell you that maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do a book on tape for that first one, but the second book, Asylum, everyone should also read that one. I've. I don't know if I'll ever read it because, as we said, there's certain things a child doesn't want to know about their parent. And while I pretty much know everything, <laughs> I I, f- yeah, I would recommend my- if you're
0: if you're a child of mine, <laughs> if you're one of my kids, you shouldn't read that book.
1: Yeah, that's my mom said maybe not that one, <laughs> um, but uh, everyone else should definitely read it. That one's called Asylum. But yeah, definitely check those books out and that documentary and this podcast. Listen um, subscribe to it, rate it, tell your friends about it. Even if you don't listen to it, still subscribe to it. Why not? Who's it going to hurt? Nobody. Really. We want you to listen over anything else. Um, because if you listen, maybe it helps you, or if not you, maybe you hear something that can help someone else. And that's what we want to do. We just want to start having conversations and talking about this stuff. That's the key to it all. We always, well, how do I feel better? How do I do this? It's just talking. I mean, medicine comes into play and all that other stuff, but you don't get there unless you start talking to someone. Um, Even yourself, get a journal. Just let it out somewhere um, because you're not alone. At the very least, we're here for you Um, and everyone else is too. You just have to talk to find out. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Daddy. I love you. I love you too.